Are you here? Okay. Maybe that's just a bit of a personal question. Uh, I'm going to assume that you are here. After all, this is the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you're not here, we can't really start the show. There you are. Now we can do it. Now that you're here, let me introduce this interview Paul E. Leslie did with B. Beeman. Now, B. is a singer-songwriter who got quite a lot of attention back when Paul first spun his music on the radio. One girl wrote in and said, Now this is good! Paul was delighted to do this interview with B. Beeman and looks forward to you hearing it. And for the record, Paul became a fan and was in awe of B. Beeman after hearing the sensational duet B. did with Judy Collins of the song Hallelujah. Maybe one of the best ever versions of that classic song. Do you know that you can help? If you do, we'll say, Alleluia. Help keep the Paul Leslie Hour going. Go to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support and donate. Any, any, any amount. Okay, okay, let's get into that interview with B. Beeman. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to welcome our special guest, B. Beeman. Thank you for joining us. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. My first question, who is B. Beeman? (laughs) I am a singer-songwriter from St. Louis, Missouri, and I live out in the West Coast right now, but I'm somebody who's sort of a chameleon (laughs) of genres, somewhat out of necessity, you might say. Why do you say that? Why out of necessity? I've always liked different kinds of music, guitar music. I grew up playing guitar since the age of like seven. I've always been drawn to anything guitar music, and St. Louis is actually a good place to hear a lot of different things. There's a rock and roll and blues and country music. And and so I loved, always loved that kind of music. And with the influence of my brother and some of my friends, I got into other types of music like hip-hop and R&B and stuff like that. So I have many hats, I guess you could say. What are the artists that you would say have had the biggest influence on you? As cliche as it is, Dylan would be definitely one of them. And Randy Newman would be up there, too, in terms of perspective. Those two guys are huge in terms of my perspective. But musically, I like all kinds of people, like Stevie Wonder and Bob Marley and all kinds of people. but. I definitely, when I write for myself, I have a very specific viewpoint. Some might say opinionated. Yeah, Randy Newman, maybe Warren Zevon. Those are all guys who are kind of pushed the boundaries of what, what you could do in, in pop music, and I always respected them. The first two that you listed, Bob Dylan and Randy Newman, based on you mentioning those first, would it be wrong to assume that you think of yourself as a songwriter first? Yeah, I, I think I, I think of myself as a guitar player and songwriter before I think of myself as a singer, because without those two things, at least in my career so far, obviously songwriting is very important, and then my guitar playing, but I've performed solo quite a bit, so those two things have to be good for me to sing, but audiences 
hear my voice first and foremost, which is just kind of a funny thing. Songwriting is, is number one in my book. Why do you write songs? Sort of a compulsion or something like I have to take care of. I don't know. It's, it's just it's something that's part of my, my being like, why you could say, why does somebody tend to, to a garden? It's just like they enjoy it, but it's sort of a symbiotic thing in a way. They need you, you need them. And as I said that, I realize how crazy that sounds. It's a, sort of a compulsion. It's just something that I've has clicked with me. And I think everybody has things that click with them and, and get them up in the morning, so to speak. I heard you say that in an interview with Scott Simon on NPR, that you felt like it was a compulsion. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. How is it a compulsion? Well, you might hear like a lot of comedians say, stand-up comedians say they have no idea why they would do that. You could not pay them, and they would still feel like they need to get up on stage and, and do their thing. And so sort of a parallel for me is in songwriting. Is this something that I've kind of always liked to do? or I always like to noodle around <laughs> playing other people's songs and then sort of interpreting them and then like doing my own thing after that. Just like expressing myself, I guess, is, is part of it. I only songwrite and feel good about my the songs I write unless they're actually good. I mean, they're failures. Every, you know, more than half of the songs I write are not don't see the light of day. But I, I definitely enjoy the process. Our special guest is singer, songwriter, and recording artist B. Beeman. What would you say is the hardest thing about being a musician? For me, I recently had, a, about two years ago, I had a baby, uh, my first baby, so it's, that's changed my life. And touring as a musician is tough. I mean, it can be actually tough, and it can be very easy, but just being away from your loved ones and being on the road is, is not exactly my idea of a great, great life. I enjoy being home, so I've been actually exploring different avenues in music and, you know, songwriting for others and uh, getting into production, which is something I've always kind of done, but only really for myself, something I've been dipping into in part out of necessity for trying to, to be home more, to be around my family. So to have a, that normal sort of life a little bit more. So that would be the toughest thing to be as a musician, trying to keep the family unit together because it's, it just becomes increasingly difficult the longer you're out. On the flip side, what is the most satisfying thing about being an artist? I mean, the, being on tour 23 hours of the day, 22 hours of the day is, is blah, for lack of a better word, B-L-A-H. <laughs> blah, I don't usually spell that out, but generally speaking, and you live for those performing well and, and having fun and the audience enjoying themselves. And so that's some of the, the greatest, some of the greater moments, definitely, as an artist. But songwriting to me is, is also like when you have something special, this is like a one out of every 25 sort of song or something special happens and it just sort of like falls into your lap, but it's just like a perfect storm of inspiration and creation and everything coming together and it, it just works very well and you really have no reason for it and it's just this sort of a, an elation, I guess, uh, from success. Like you, people say, people who go surfing or whatever or are really good at something else, 
surfing, let's say they live for that 10 seconds, you know, that they ride and they sit in the water and they float around. They kind of enjoy that, but they really like waiting for the, the ride, which only lasts for a few seconds. And in those 10 seconds, you get the rush that you, that compels you to do everything else just to get to the next moment. And so in songwriting, that is the sweet spot for me. That makes me keep going. Without those, I probably would have given up a long time ago. You have this album, Rhythm and Reason. How did you get the title for the album? Well, it was a, it's a lyric in one of the songs. It's buried very deep in, in one of my most lyrical songs called The Color Pink. And um, a friend of mine actually was like, why don't, why don't you, like, he had listened to the song and he threw that out there and it was actually a great idea. And so I had not thought of it. It, it made perfect sense. But the line, Rhythm and Reason, is a mixture of rhythm and blues and rhyme or reason. I just kind of mishmashed those words. But I was very clever when I did it. <laughs> Would you say when you're writing songs that the inspiration behind your songs is more what you see, what you observe, or is it more your imagination? It's a mix of both. I feel like I have a strong like storytelling imagination, but it's all based in reality. And for lack of a better word, like, social issues, but I'm not, there's a, there's a big line, not a fine line for me, quite a big line between being political or being socially aware. And really one out of every hundred songs of mine is political and probably like four out of five are socially aware. And I'm not trying to politicize a story. I'm trying to tell the story of something that is political in a human, on the human level. Uh, with one individual and giving that social issue a, a, a personality. and uh, But at the same time, I, I like to tell a funny story and uh, entertain the audience. So it's, it's a mishmash of personal experiences and what I observe around the world and me just making some stuff up. Tell us about your song, Closer to Thee. Closer to Thee is about, it's pretty much literally about being on tour by myself away from my wife who was pregnant and feeling and to bridge the gap of being across basically in Europe while she's in California. I mean, this is a time of having FaceTime and Skype and stuff like that. So it's not, not that bad, but it, it, you're far, far away. And the story that millions and millions of people feel, you know, not just extended family, but their immediate family is there's a separation there. Children and, and parents and husband and wife and so on. I come from an immigrant family uh, who's spread out all over the globe, so it's like it's part of the fabric of, of my upbringing. For that particular song, it was, it was about my wife and trying to be closer to them and how the distance actually brings you closer mentally or spiritually or whatever. I want to say. Another song I wanted to ask about is The Fool. What inspired that one? That one is, so a lot of the songs on the album are basically socially aware, socio-political songs masked as relationship songs. Moving to Brussels is that way and a few others. And, and The Fool is, is one of those where you could just look at it completely as a relationship song, like a breakup song. Um, but to me, it was, it was a coded in a way, it was about um, the Sri Lankan civil war 
Um, and Sri Lanka is, is the country where my parents are from. I was born here in America, but um, uh, there's a civil war there that ended very badly for our people, our ethnicity of people, Tamil people, spelled T-A-M-I-L-F-Y-I. It ended very badly for us. And it was a song I wrote about speaking to the other side in terms of being manipulated and played for a fool. And so I wrote that song with that in mind. And it means that that to me very much when I sing it. But I wrote it intentionally so that it would be appreciated as a love song because that's what really resonates with people. What is it that you hope people get out of the experience of listening to your music? I bring up Quentin Tarantino like quite a bit because I obviously he's very heavy-handed with his violence and all that stuff, and I don't do that. But his storytelling speaks about so many different things without telling you what to think about them. He he talks about race and talks about misogyny and talks about social issues as the backdrop to his stories that he tells. So the characters that he, he he's writing and creating are living in this world, but they're living their own life within the world. So that's kind of my angle when I write. I say I grew up at a time when you could disagree with somebody for being liberal or being conservative, but you didn't want to like cut their throat like the climate that they were in today. Or at least it was a lot better. So I kind of like I speak about things that conservative people generally don't want to agree with me on. So I'm trying to like come in through through the back door of their mind and influence them in a way. Having said that, I don't think I'm gonna really change anybody's mind too too much. I'm literally just an entertainer, but I do I do enjoy, like I said, Bob Dylan and Randy Newman, and and they those are two of my lyrical heroes, and they always flipped in what they thought without fear uh, into their songs. Uh, so that's kind of where I come from. But it's all entertainment. This may seem like a strange question, <laughs> like a lot of my questions, I guess, but you were talking about in one of your other interviews, a, a filmed interview, and you said that you thought people needed to be more loving. Yeah. And I would agree, but how can someone be more loving? I guess when I said that, I feel like I meant it in a in a general way, not in a person-to-person level. I feel like people are about as loving. I guess I'm speaking in the United States about Americans. I think people are very loving to one another, like on a personal level, about as much as you can ask. But I think in an abstract way, when you're thinking about immigrants or you're thinking about blacks and Latins in urban areas, I think people are thinking about it in an abstract way and there's zero love there. I think there is xenophobia and fear and everybody's just a human being, but I think it's a human condition to not be able to think about others far away from you in a loving way. And I think that's actually a scientific fact. There's like some sort of tribalism thing going on there. That's what I mean by I think people could be more loving and loving and understanding of other people's situations. That's one of the biggest problems I see. My last question is very, very open-ended. For anyone who's listening to this, what would you say to them? Keep on keeping on. I don't know. I don't know. What's up? I hope you guys are doing well. I don't have a big message to take away. I mean, being open and 
and like I said, loving, not like make people dinner necessarily or give them a big hug or kiss. It's more like being more understanding of other cultures. I feel like if there is a God, God made all of us, not just some of us. You know what I mean? So that's sort of my mantra. Just to tell you real quick, I had not heard your music, to be honest, and I heard you singing with Judy Collins. Right. When I got the call that I was going to do that one, I was like, oh, thank, thank God, because I love that song. I've always loved that song. I haven't heard so I haven't heard that many covers of it, but I always just like, the Leonard Cohen one was the definitive one to me for a long time, just because I was super, I, I went through super folky phase, and I loved anything Leonard Cohen and whatever, you know. When I heard that was coming up, I was like, oh, I thought I could do a good job. But it was it was fun to, like, I came in with something set that I was like, I'm going to do this. And then it, it morphed because of out of necessity with Judy and, and the producer. And so I just, like, kind of let it rip. But it was, it was great. I felt very comfortable singing that one because I was so familiar. And then to do it with Judy was awesome. When I first heard her voice, I, she just sounded like she was 30 years old. And I was like, how the hell? Who, nobody sounds like that after so like 40, 50 years, you know, nobody, I can't think of anybody who sounds just as good or like, like they maybe age five or 10 years since they were 20, but everybody else sounds so bad. You know, <laughs> I was just like blown away. Maybe she just didn't smoke and do drugs like everybody else did. She's done something right. <laughs> yeah. I think I asked and she said she basically treats her body, acts as though her job is an that is one of an athlete. Like, so she takes very good care of herself, runs and or whatever, swims and everything. I mean, she probably just led a clean life and took care of her body and everything. I guess that pays off. I guess there hasn't been much proof of it, but apparently that that's proof of it. There have been a few singers that I've interviewed that have told me, you have to treat this like you're an athlete. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. It's a difficult, I mean, it's so many 200, 250 shows a year for a good amount of people, and that's a lot. It takes its toll. Well, Mr. Beeman, thank you very much for sharing with us. Have a great day. It's nice to speak with you. You have a good one. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.